what you do in the next four years is going to define how your next 80 years are. So if you screw up now, your next 80 years are going to really be bad. You're going to have a broken down house. You're always going to be trying to figure out how to pay the rent. And, you know, you're going to have 80 years of that. You know, don't you think it's time to straighten up and make sure your next 80 years are, are not going to really stink? You know, and when you kind of like make them look at it like that and they realize they got to act now or they're really going to have a lousy life, you know, and, and that's kind of how I, I work with a lot of young kids that I just kind of point that out, make the obvious obvious. Welcome. You are listening to the Hero of the Hour podcast, the show dedicated to empowering you to take financial freedom into your own hands. Through expert interviews with decades of experience, this show will give you not only the tactical strategies of what's working in business, but the appropriate mindsets to master your financial future and build generational wealth. Heroes and entrepreneurs operate with a similar anything is possible mentality, and that is exactly what our show is about. Your host is none other than Mark B. Murphy, CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and best-selling author of three books, all dedicated to helping others plan for generational wealth. He and his team are on a mission to share their knowledge and techniques so that others can enjoy a life of financial security and freedom. Get ready to be inspired to create the life of your dreams. Let's go. Welcome to another captivating episode of the Hero of the Hour podcast. Our host, Mark Murphy, has an extraordinary guest, John Darienzo. John is a successful serial entrepreneur and currently holds the reins as CEO and president of DoForms, a groundbreaking platform offering affordable data capture solutions for both iOS and Android. Today, we will delve into John's inspiring entrepreneurial journey and personal narrative. He'll unfold his perspective on what it means to be a hero specifically within the entrepreneurial landscape. Naturally, we'll also get an insider's look into DoForms, exploring the platform's capabilities and its role in the tech ecosystem. But there's more. John will share his thoughts on the integral role a strong, healthy marriage plays in achieving success, providing a holistic view on work-life balance. As a tech veteran, John will offer his foresights on the future trajectory of technology and the world as a whole. For budding entrepreneurs and business leaders, this episode is especially valuable. John will impart his wisdom on what it takes to establish a company in today's competitive market. And for a bonus, he will share the priceless lessons he's learned from his encounters with influential business leaders. Together, Mark and John will also tackle a critical topic, the most common hiring pitfalls entrepreneurs fall into and how you can circumvent them. Enjoy the Hero of the Hour podcast, and let's get started. I am Mark Murphy, a founder and uh, CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and the author of an Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Investment, which can be found in bookstores and online at Amazon and at airports all over the country. But I'm here today to talk to one of my dear friends and a successful serial entrepreneur, uh, John Darienzo. John, welcome uh, to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. Always a pleasure. You know, I always kind of start with this. It's uh, my my version of, uh, I call it the Hero of the Hours podcast. And uh, I always have people on the podcast that either are heroes to me or heroes to other people. And so I just always, you know, always, the concept of hero is always uh, interesting to me. 
So I'd love to know what's a hero to you and and uh, how do you define a hero? Well, you know, clearly a hero is somebody that's willing to do something that other people are not willing to do. Right. So you, know, you see that one person is willing to run into a burning building. You know, everybody else stands there and watches. You know, that's a hero. And that can apply across, you know, many things, you know, even entrepreneurs. Right. How many times do you hear somebody go, I had a great idea. And five years later, somebody stole it. Well, you know, you, you weren't willing to take the chance to do it. So you're not a hero, right? But if you, you know, if you're willing to take that risk, you're willing to go out there and do something that other people are not willing to do, you know, that kind of puts you in that hero category. I mean, my greatest hero is probably my dad, to be honest with you. Well, you know, he, he was a problem solver. And I think the thing that made me successful in business is, you know, technology is not about technology. It's about being able to solve problems with technology. You know, and the, the thing I find with most technology people is they don't understand how the world works. You know, they're sitting there with these tools, but they don't understand what they need to fix or what they need to build. And, you know, I've taken on really big, crazy projects, of, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old. I was managing a $20 million project for a global shipping company worldwide. You know, and, and I was able to do that because he, you know, taught me how to look at things differently. He taught me how to, you know, understand what was happening and how to solve those problems. And, you know, I'm, I'm more of a problem solver. Even my business that I built solves problems for people, you know, and, and, and that's kind of what I learned from him. So, you know, to me as a hero is, is somebody that really kind of can teach us stuff. You know, I have a lot of mentors. You're certainly one of my mentors. I know you for, what, 30 years now? Yeah, damn near. You know, you're one of my heroes, clearly, and, you know. But the other thing we do, Mark, is our whole business is around building heroes. So what we do is people basically come to us with a problem. They may be an employee in a company, a manager, manager level, and they tell us about a problem their company's having. And what we do is for free, we build them their mobile applications and their applications because we can do that with our technology. And well, then t- tell, people, I mean, tell people, for people who haven't heard of do, do forms, I mean, obviously, this is not your first company, your first successful company, but it, it might be the most successful. And it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's amazing. Why don't you tell people what do forms is? Sure. So with DoForms, we made it possible to basically take your tablet or your smartphone and turn it into a business tool. So, you know, we all think about, hey, I can use my phone to get directions to the mall. I can use my camera to take pictures. There's a whole bunch of personal things you could do with all the features on a phone or a tablet. What DoForms did is we said, hey, all of those features can be turned into valuable business tools. You know, instead of getting GPS directions, we can now give you directions to a job that you're supposed to go to. We can GPS stamp where you filled that form out. Um, there's so many things we're doing with GPS. And you know, one example is like the FAA would go out and they'd take a picture of a pothole on a runway and then they would GPS stamp it. And then two seconds later, we could basically plot every pothole on a map using like Google Earth and they could see, you know, where all those things were. So we've built these really, this really crazy data collection capability that lets the average person be able to automate their company for, you know, very affordably. And, you know, the, the thing that's shocking people is they don't know, everybody thinks the technology is going to be costly and time consuming and disruptive my, my business. And we're able to demonstrate to people for, you know, $15 a month, you can basically put, put technology in the hands of your employee. And, you know, it's so fast, we could do it for the customer themselves or the customer can do it. Half of our customers are like the, you know, like your sons, you know, they're, 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 they work for you or something like that. And then they, they, they love technology, these, these, these kids today. And they just say, hey, dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to automate your company. And they come to us and they get the tools. And, you know, a couple minutes later, they're showing how they could automate all the different parts of your business. Using you. 
Yeah, John, you have a pretty interesting story. You know, you you certainly didn't grow up poor, but you didn't grow up privileged either. You know, we weren't a trust fund baby. I'd love to tell people kind of where you started and and where and how you got here and and where you're going right now. Sure. I mean, you know, you called me a serial entrepreneur. That that started at like you know ten years old, right? I, I would buy bicycles, and I had a bunch of kids that worked for me that would you know clean up all the chrome and we paint them and. You know, I'd be out there selling them. And then I started working on cars. My father told me how to do like body work. And when I was like probably 12 years old, I was making like three, four grand a, a month clear, you know, as a 12 year old. And uh, I, I think that kind of never left me. Right. You know, it was just like then, you know, I started working for companies because it's kind of hard to build a company, at you know, or right out of college. So. <laughs> But, you know, even those were great experiences because my first job was AIG. I supported Hank Greenberg, who was like the eighth richest man in the world at that point. I built all his technology for him. And then I got this job at Sealand, which is a, uh, at that point, was the, the largest shipping company in the world. It was like about a $4 billion company in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, they had this development team that was tasked with automating all the shipping terminals all around the world. And it was like 100 people. And... I was just this young guy that started there and they, the, the CEO called me up one day and he goes, can you help me? There's a little problem in the port. And he says, so what is it? He says, well, you know, Hanjin bought Yangman and they're trying to put a hole through the fence. It's costing $4 million a month in labor to put the union there. We need some kind of system. So I went in in about two weeks and I, I solved the whole problem and put the system in place and saved them $4 million. And I did that two or three times. And uh, one day the CEO came to my door and he goes, I just fired the whole terminal automation systems group, have a proposal on my door on Monday. And I was probably 21. So I said, hey, I need $20 million budget. I need total authority over who I hire, what I buy. And he goes, I can't do that. I said, then don't give me the job because nobody else is going to let me do it. And he says, you got it. So at like 21 years old, I had a $20 million budget. It was the second largest IT budget in the world next to UPS. They had a bigger budget to do the dyad, the, the handheld, so they could record with packages they were dropping off. And based on that, I flew into Microsoft and met with Bill Gates, and I flew into Oracle and met with Larry Ellison. And, you know, when you're wielding that kind of budget, so I kind of had the opportunity to learn really early on. I met with everybody and made relationships that, that I use till this day with major companies. And, you know, that that's really been sort of, you know, the beginning of it. But the funny story is in 1994, I got a call from Bill Gates, the secretary, and she said, he's coming to meet with you in your office. So I told my boss, and he told the, the, some other person, another person, next thing you know, the conference room spilled the capacity, and they told me I can't come. So I basically quit and started my own company. And, uh, you know, the rest was kind of history. I built the company for what you were there from the beginning. So for 10 years, we built that company and groundbreaking technology. We... We automated all of Airborne Express and DHL and Duralator Express and Kraft and Nabisco and Con Edison and, you know, really out there ahead of our headlights. But the problem was we were actually making money, but we weren't making the kind of money that all the false people were saying. So all these companies were out there going, oh, we're going to have a trillion dollars in sales by next week. I'm like, you don't even have a sales team. You know, how are you going to do that? Right, right. Investors were just buying into all that baloney. Right. And, you know, here I am with like a steady 20 percent you know, growth rate. And they're like, who the hell wants that? This other company is going to be a trillionaire by next week. And I'm like, I don't see it. You know, and then, it was you know, crazy during those times where there are people that had, had valuations were lower than the cash they had in the bank. Yeah, and, uh, and they were they were just money looking for technology. Yeah, they it had, was crazy. 
And if you weren't a gray haired 50 year old guy, like they didn't even look at you. Like they just wanted like senior CEOs to throw money at like crazy. Right. And then, you know, the story we met with the, the, the president and former president of Solomon Smith Barney. And he hand walks me into Solomon Smith Barney and says, you're taking John's company public. And everybody's telling me I'm going to be a billionaire. And like two days later, you know, Aether Technology walked in and was like, I'll give you a hundred million dollars for the company of which I had 47% at that point. We were like, screw that. I'm going to be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What were you going to do with $47 million, John? It's, it's not enough money. Right. You know, at that point, I was already driving a BMW. I had a big house. I was like, you know, I don't need. I want big money. I want, you know, I want a boat, and a jet. And a, yeah. You know, Wait, what's a twenty-five-year-old guy going to do with that kind of money? You know, yeah. it's it's so funny. Uh, it's so fu- so funny to look back at that. You know, um, my wife tells me now, if you ever do that again, I will kill you and then divorce you. So, <laughs> I think that's. I think that's. Uh, I think that's right. And then obviously, it morphed into do forms, which has become you know, just so wildly, wildly, wildly successful. But uh, I always knew it would be there. You know, what you mentioned, Isabel, I mentioned your wife. I think one of the great, you know, she, to me, she's your secret weapon in mm-hmm. the sense that, you know, I, I, you know, you guys have known each other since you're uh, 13 or 14 years old. And uh, having a really strong marriage, I think, is integral to being able to be on a high wire like you are every day and perform. You, what do you think about that? I mean, absolutely. I mean, she gives me all the time I need. She backs me up. She does whatever I need. She's my best personal assistant and wife. And, you know, and she's understanding too. You know, you know the deal. How many times have we called up and she's like, dinner's on the table. I'm not coming home. I'm going out to eat with Mark. You know, <laughs> it's like, all right, I'll put it away. You can have it for lunch tomorrow. Well, you know? nice. Yeah. yeah all, all I can say about her is I think you and I think, we're, you know, we think we're reasonably smart guys. I think she's smarter than both of us. She's a, uh, you know, she's a, she's a keeper, you know. She's a taskmaster. I mean, when she quit her job when we had our babies, they had to hire like six people to replace her. You know, she'll put a list together on day one. And by the end of the day, if that list is not done, she won't go to sleep. Where do you think, you know, every day you're reading stuff about artificial intelligence, you're reading about technology, you're reading about other things. If you're looking to the future, I mean, one of the things I've always admired about you is you've always been able to peek around corners and see where the world was going. Where is the world going in terms of technology? You know, it's funny. I, I kind of say, uh, you ever see the Jetsons when we were kids? Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, they kind of lived up in the sky and they had cars that flew. And, you know, one guy went to work at the Sprocket factory. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's where we're going. I think the rich people are going to figure out how to build their houses really high and get cars that fly. And all the poor people, they never, you know, the Jetsons never aimed down. <laughs> but I think if they ever aimed down, that would be all the people that got, you know, lost their jobs because of artificial intelligence. And, you know, how, how quickly do you think that's going to really put a dent in the employment uh, in this country? I mean, we've been seeing it for years, right? You know, we all started out, there was elevator operators, and then there was toll booth operators. And, you know, those are all forms of artificial intelligence now that are, that are handling all those tasks. And you hear stories about, you know, replacing the buses, bus drivers with, uh, you know, driverless buses and all this, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that's great technology, but... You know, how many people can be in the service business? You know, you're going to wind up having, you know, 10 people at work and 400 people that want to deliver their groceries to them. And, uh, you know, to me, that's probably the scariest part of this whole thing. You know, I, I was listening to Elon Musk. He thinks the greatest danger to society is artificial intelligence, even though he funded chat, whatever that is. And, uh, you know, he said, just take a, if you just stop during your day and think about how many times a machine made a decision for you. 
you'll start to get scared already. You know, and it's like your car says turn right and your phone says it's time for your meeting. And, you know, it's like you start really looking at all the times where a computer or, or something interrupted your life and took, you know, took control of it. And he goes, that's going to happen more and more and more and more. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to go to a point where that's not a good thing. Well, I think that may, I think it makes perfect sense. I, I know myself is, you, you know, to be successful going forward, you have to adopt technology uh, in, in every business. Yep. At the same time, I I find myself like even like on the weekends on Friday night, I I even try to plug my cell phone like in the bathroom and I'll check it a few times, but I sometimes just need to you know have twenty four or, or thirty six hours where I just get away from email, text, phones, you know everything. It's hard to because you have your phone with you, but it it, it the twenty four seven world I don't think has been healthy for anybody. Um, you know, you and I, I mean, you know, one one of the things is I go back almost thirty years when you had rim pagers when email didn't even exist and we just used it to kind of text back and forth to each other and nobody had text nobody had email people were still using beepers and we go this is the coolest thing and now you see where people are i was reading that people check their phones an average of 86 times a day yep. and i saw and i saw something else that was cracked me up the other day they said 20 years ago they talked to people and they said they were they were talking to people now and they said what is the first thing you do in the morning and I think 98% of the people said they either check their phone, they check their emails, or they check their text. Yep. And they, they asked the same question 20 years ago. And at 20 years ago, 97% of the people said the first thing they did in the morning was pee. It is, you know, and it's so true. I, I'm, you know, you know, and sometimes we're doing both at the same time, first thing, you know, peeing and checking mm -hmm. our, our messages. And I think it's, there's an unhealthiness about that going forward. Everything is a double-edged sword. I'm worried about everybody's eyesight. Like I, I know my eyes are strained and tired and I'm blurry and, you know, cause you, you, you just stare at that thing all day long, but you know, we've only had access to phones, what, you know, 10 years, really 15 years, you know, the smartphones with the bright screens and, you know, all the crazy stuff on them. Think about these kids who now are going to start looking at that phone from, you know, three years old, four years old, what are their eyes going to do? You know, are, are we going to have all kinds of eyesight issues and things like that, that we haven't thought about? You know, I also notice in your companies for a technology company, I see your companies as opposed to your earlier companies, which was technology companies, but had lots of employees. I'm seeing you having lots and lots and lots of technology and fewer and fewer employees, relatively yeah. speaking, relatively speaking, compared to the size of the company. You know, the, the, the nice thing about the first company is it taught me how to do the second company, right? So you know, when, when I took over do forums, my, my comment to myself was I've been preparing 30 years for this job. Right. And, you know, I really feel that way. And even our employees, I feel like they've been preparing for this job. Like every, everybody that's here, this is going to be their big win, Rob and Nick and all, you know, all the guys, this is going to be their big win. And, uh, you know, the nice thing about, about technology today is back when we started the other company, we, we spent, remember we did that, uh, the day where they cut, cut the ribbon and we opened up our million and a half dollar computer room and, you know, it took a million and a half dollars to do what we can do with the cloud today for free, you know, for the most part. Like, so it, it's a lot easier to set up a company today. You don't, you don't need, you know, a lot of money to get started. You don't need a lot of infrastructure to get started. It, you know, the tools make it very, very simple to, to build a company today. Um, but what you do need is, you know, good ideas and, and the ability to sell. Have you noticed that life is getting more and more expensive? From grocery prices to real estate values, everywhere you turn, prices seem to be skyrocketing. Well, 
Mark has dedicated decades of his career and life to serving entrepreneurs and professionals to build real wealth, and in most cases, multi-generational wealth. The reality is, we all have to navigate turbulent times in this economy, but the difference will be for those that have a roadmap and a customized plan for building wealth. That's why, as a listener to this podcast, we are so excited to share with you first access to Mark's newest book, The Ultimate Investment, a roadmap to grow your business and build multi-generational wealth. When you access this book, you'll discover how to know when you're working a job instead of a business. That hard work isn't all about hours put in. This will make you more productive. Why you need to live with your back against a wall. How to surround yourself with the right people who support your vision. And so much more. Go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book to get access now. Once again, go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book. And now, back to the show. You know, not to sound like a conspiracy nut, because I, I, I don't think either of us are, and I, don't th- I certainly don't think I am, but I find it that technology and innovation have allowed people to disrupt businesses easier. Mm-hmm. The thing that's stopping that is regulation by governments. The government is, is the only thing keeping there's a lot there's a lot of regulation in place that protects large companies you know kind of re- protects the old guard inappropriately so that disruptors can't come into a lot of markets. Well, and, we're disrupting. We don't care. You know, you, which a good a great example is HIPAA, right? All the the healthcare companies are all bound by these HIPAA laws and regulations, and everything's got to be protected. Personal information has to be protected to the nth degree. And, you know, the niche market players in the industry charge fortunes because they make it like it's so complicated to, to do this. And, you know, we've built out a HIPAA compliance solution and, you know, Verizon completely vetted us. They're, they're, they're HIPAA compliance legal teams and security teams and things of that nature. And we're delivering healthcare solutions now very affordably to all the, you know, mom and pop healthcare solutions, home care, home, you know, home nursing, visiting nursing. And you know we're we're doing really well with it. We we just became the first company in Louisiana to get our hospice forms approved by the state, you know, and things like things of that nature. And you know we're doing some really cool stuff. Like in the Robert Wood Johnson Hospitals, they use our hospice. The, the Visiting Nurse Association uses forms that we built, and they can literally go there, have you fill out your do not resuscitate forms and proxy directives and all that stuff. And, they hit a button and it automatically goes securely to a doctor and that doctor signs it and it automatically goes right back to the caregiver. And They hit a button and it prints and they hand it to the patient and the, and the family members. And then the record goes up to the cloud. And if they you know, have an emergency and they need to know if that person has a do not resuscitate, they could literally call a number and get it. You know, and, and all we did all that literally in a day or two. Like, so we're, we're able to take these problems and literally solve them in a day or two. Who are potential customers for do forms? If if you're watching this podcast, who should be who should be talking to your company about trying to automate? So it's funny when uh, when you know, one of our investors came over from Citigroup, he was one of the top leading investment bankers in, in that company, and he, he he invested in our company because he said Duforms was the only company in 25 years he ever saw that could be sold to every company in the world. And you know the reason that he said that is what we do is really help companies automate. So, you know, if, if you have a paper process today, if, if you're using some kind of, you know, I call them rule Goldberg processes, or it's like, hey, I'll send you a fax and you send me a text and I'll do this and you do that. And you drop this paper off here. You know, we could automate all of that today. 
So, you know, companies, even the biggest companies that have big, huge IT organizations, you find like 60% of the company has no access to IT. There's just not enough IT to automate everybody. So, you know, we're, we, we have these line managers that are call us up and go, hey, I've got a problem. You know, I, I we just did a, a solution as in pilot right now with a major multi-billion dollar company where they said, hey, you know, our products, the price changes and we have to be able to relabel them on the shelves. And we're doing it with paper lists and you know, they, they they come out and then they go back to the business, they get the labels and they go back again and they put the labels on. And in about like, you know, two days, we showed them how they could do all of that automatically and and basically automated the entire thing for them. This was like a multi-billion dollar, you know, candy company, you know, and and, and we're, that's, that's what we're doing. You know, Mark, the biggest problem we have is people don't know we can do that. Like, if you knew you could solve a problem in like two days for, you know, $1,000, like you'd be all over it. Our biggest problem is getting, you know, the word out. now. You know, we're a Verizon business solutions partner. So Verizon, actually, you can pay for due forms right through Verizon. And their their you know entire sales force actually is compensated for selling due forms. So we have a lot of people on the street knocking on doors everywhere. And, and let me tell you, that was no small achievement. You know, you could imagine a little tiny company getting Verizon to sell your product. I got to tell you, there, there's, you ought to Google a, a company called NGNG out of Colorado. stands for No Guts, No Glory. I think that they've got some really cr- incredible ideas to help people get the word out, and yeah. that's somebody I, you know, I, I would, I would love, to, I'd love you to talk to. You know, the other other thing that you know you kind of mentioned to me, you mentioned Bill Gates, you mentioned uh, Larry Ellison. I know because of our relationship, I know you've met with Michael Dell. I, yeah. I know you've met with uh, uh, Hank Greenberg. You mentioned you. Uh, I, I know you've men- mentioned with the CEOs of some of the largest companies in the world, and some of that was when you were in your early and mid twenties. Mm-hmm. I grew up dumb and broke from Queens and then suffer New York. You grew up in Brooklyn. What was the most surprising thing when you meet these kind of iconic business leaders where you go, what was the takeaway from having, you know, meetings with, with some of those folks? Is there anything that was like an overarching theme meeting those guys? Where you, Cause you know, I didn't meet them in suffering. You know, they were, right. they didn't go to, they didn't go to suffer in high school with me. You know, I, I think because like, you know, it was, I think I was like 19 when I started working for AIG, you know, and I was like ruthless. I didn't care. I walked right up to the CEO. I'm like, here, I'm here to support you and stuff like that. So I was never afraid of like the big people, you know, and it was kind of funny because everybody would say, hey, you know, the CIO just got on the elevator. They'd all run for the stairs and I'd make sure I got in that elevator and I'd say something to them, you know, and, and they, they would people would turn around and go, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, well, the CIO is never going to say, let's promote that guy I never met. You know, like you, you got to get in front of people. And so it didn't it didn't scare me. Like I remember when Bill Gates came down, he sat next to our CEO and uh, the CEO started telling Bill Gates about, you know, competition in the Atlantic Ocean for, for shipping trade. And Bill Gates picked up a piece of paper that was in front of him that I had put there, you know, describing the product we built and like totally ignored the CEO. So he stopped talking in about three seconds. And then Bill Gates tried to tell him about how fast Visual Basic was going to compile and its next release. And, you know, our CEO like completely zoned out and like, you know, we're sitting there with like 30 people in a room with Bill Gates and the room was dead silent. So like I raised my hand, I was like, Hey Bill, let me ask you a question. I'm thinking of utilizing your new Mappy API, you know, and me and him just talked for like the other 29 minutes of the meeting. And, uh, you know, that was probably my biggest takeaway is that he really wasn't a business guy. Like you, you would think like a guy who traveled the world and everything and met with a CEO of a shipping company would be able to at least hold a conversation, you know, but, but he was like super technical and the other guy was super non-technical and they literally shut down in two seconds. 
and stop talking to each other. I remember the embarrassing thing as as being a finance guy and a money guy when I first got on your board and you know you were in your late twenties. I was probably thirty, and uh, it was all technology guys on the board. And, and for the first couple of board meetings, guys were throwing around these acronyms, and like I had no because I didn't come from that world. So I was sitting there going, "What did I do? I have no idea what these guys are talking about. They might they might as well have been talking Chinese to me." And so, you know, it took me about six months to like go do some homework and figure out, you know, what you guys were talking about so I could actually bring value to the the, the board, but also, you know, understand what, what was being discussed. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, uh, you know, I wasn't too embarrassed to raise my hand and said, what is that? You know, what, you know, because you know, everyone else seemed like they knew what they were doing. And I, you know, I had to, I had to really go to school, so to speak, to, 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 to add value. You know, I know you have mentored my children and you've mentored your own children. And a lot of people watching this have a lot of children and grandchildren. Uh, I think you give some incredible advice. What do you? What advice are you going to give to the next generation? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. A lot of friends will say, "Hey, you know, my my son's you know 15, 16 years old. He's going down a bad road. You know, blah 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 blah." blah. So would you Would you talk with them? And you know, the speech I've been giving lately is, "Look, you know, you're, you're going to live to over a hundred years old. Like, you know, no questions asked." My my father's eighty three years old. You know. 20 years ago, he would have been gone or a long time already, right? You know, so you're going to live to 100. So what you do in the next four years is going to define how your next 80 years are. So if you screw up now, your next 80 years are going to really be bad. You're going to, you know, ugly wife, you know, kids, <laughs> you have a broken down car, you're going to have a broken down house. You're always going to be trying to figure out how to pay the rent. And, you know, you're going to have 80 years of that. You know, don't you think it's time to straighten up and make sure your next 80 years are, are not going to really stink? You know, and when you kind of like make them look at it like that and they realize they got to act now or they're really going to have a lousy life, you know, and, and that's kind of how I, I work with a lot of young kids that I just kind of point that out, make the obvious obvious. It is uh, amazing to me how so few people are prepared uh, for the future. I think they're so worried about their rights. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that you know, and privileges that they're not really as worried about their responsibilities and what it takes to be successful. And I think you know, I think one of the things you know, it's not that we have bad kids. I think there's there's bad parents or parents that weren't as good as maybe our parents were, and we as a generation have not been as good of parents because we you know we want to we we so much want to take some of the pain away from our kids mm -hmm. that that uh, we don't give them the opportunity to fail. We don't give them the opportunity. I think fail, you know, I, I, when I look back, I go, all of my great successes have come out of failure. And, yep. and so that's why we don't, that's why I don't believe in failure anymore. I believe in learning, you know, there's success and there's learning. Yeah, you said at the top of the, at the hour where you were talking about, you know, that you've, you've, you've been, you've been gearing up for the last 30 years to build this incredible company, Do Forms. Every time I've had a setback or I'll call a learning opportunity, it was an opportunity for me to grow as a person. And that allowed me to, to then, be ready to succeed the next time I was at the at the at bat. Part of war. Best generals have lost the most battles. You know, very telling. I, I use the auto war to run a lot of my businesses. You know, that that whole never go to battle until victory is already defined in your favor. You know, I I that book forced me to, you know, what I do is I I run through 10 different scenarios before I make any decision. And I try to pick the one that I believe will have the best and most like, you know, likely outcome. And uh I've, I've used that to help a lot of people. You know, I, I used to drive these guys home from Con Edison. And one day this guy comes in the car and he's all flustered. And he goes, I just went and saw the my boss's boss because my boss gave me a lousy raise. And I have a meeting with her tomorrow and I'm going to make sure, you know. And I said, well, let's play this out, right? You go into her and you say, hey, 
my boss gave me a lousy raise and I deserve better. I'm the smartest guy here. So she's going to call your boss in. And what is he going to say? You're right. I made a mistake. Or is he going to say, no, he's lucky I gave him what, he, what I gave him. You know, he's going to kill you in that meeting. And the next day you show up for work, you know, and it was kind of like you had to look at both of those scenarios. People don't do that. You, you know, one, one of the things that personally offends me, John, is when somebody comes to me and asks me for a raise and is willing to provide no more value for that raise. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times when people I am, so I love people who want to make more money. I want people to become as valuable as possible. And what I try to do with our team is to try to sit back and talk to them about what can you do to be more valuable to this company? What can you do to make your department more efficient or your job more efficient? Or what can we do so that I don't pay you a little bit more money? I want to pay you a lot more money, but I don't want to pay you this more money to do the same work you did last year. And uh, I think that's a, that's a tough concept sometimes for employees. You know, we, we've got, you know, a shortage of great talent for a lot of reasons, whether it be COVID, whether it be, you know, work from home, whether it be you know, not proper training. I mean, there's a million reasons why there's a shortage of, of of talent right now. But one of the things you've done really well is you've helped manage and lead successful teams. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people in companies struggling with that right now. What advice would you give th those folks? Well, you know, the first thing I say is you, you can't teach stupid, right? Somebody enters your company <laughs> stupid, they're exiting your company stupid. I, I've never taken a stupid person that made a superstar out of it, right? But I can take the smartest person in the world that knows nothing about what I'm doing and I could teach them everything about what I'm doing. And I, I think the biggest mistake people make is they don't hire talent. They hire people that they think fit their company well. And, you know, that 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 really narrows down your pool of, of people that you can hire. Um, so I, I look for really smart, you know, college grads and, and people. You know, and you can tell when somebody's excited, when they have the drive, and you know, when they want to become something. And you know, and, and I can teach them the other stuff. You know, I can teach anybody how to do do forms. I could teach people how to sit in front of, you know, big customers and ask the right questions. But if you're dumb, there's nothing I can do. Like, I, I can't, I, I can't help you, you know. Well, I would say you can't fix stupid. You can't fix crazy either. Right. But uh, you know, one of the things, I probably should ask this earlier in the podcast, but you're probably one of the leading companies in the world in data and data analytics. T tell me a little bit about, how that plays into your product and your company. You know, it's, it's funny. We're a little tiny company, right? And we were talking to a company like Alcoa the other day and they're not, like, not hey, so tiny, <laughs> you know, do forums helps us compete against China and the global economy for aluminum. I'm like, that's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> you know, like, we're, we're accomplishing, you know, big things like, and, and, and we're even, you know, we're, we're global now. I think do forums is on every continent. We're in every country in the world. We've got sales literally everywhere. And, you know, people all over the world are using it for, you know, really good things. Uh, I remember we had a scenario in India where they were using do forms to in small towns to dispatch midwives to, to women who were giving birth because there was no hospitals anywhere around. This, this one guy wanted to save the world and he decided he was an astronaut. He decided if we could stop people in Africa from boiling their water and cooking their food on open fires, you know, we could stop a, a great deal of pollution. So he bought these like water purification systems and, and wood burning stoves. And he distributed them to like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people all over Africa. And they used do forms to completely document that. And I've had people call me up and say, Hey, I'm collecting, you know, butterfly eggs in the Everglades. I use do forms to, you know, and it, it's, it's like literally people say, well, you know, what, what does do forms do? And I'm like, it really does everything. And, and, you know, I, I hate to say that because it makes it sound like, you know, there's no body right for it, but 
you know, if you're using paper today, if you're using any kind of process, you know, everybody runs their life on their cell phone and their tablet. And my, my attitude is, why can't you run your company on those things too? And, and that's what we've really enabled people to do is run their company. And, you know, for us, like you know, a lot of people, uh, especially like field service people, people that like, you know, go out and do estimates and stuff like that. They'll go back and have a ton of homework when they're done. Like, you go to somebody's house and you, you look at the job and you got to estimate it and all that stuff. With do forms, we can set you up that literally you go into that house, do your entire estimate, ask the person for their email address, hit a button, and they've got their estimate before you even left. No more homework, you know. And, you know, we're helping people cut time out of their day. We're helping people be able to do more jobs, you know, more and more tasks during the day. And we're really doing that by just taking the inefficiencies out. We're not trying to solve huge problems. You know, New Forms is not out there trying to become the biggest system in the world that's going to run your entire company. We're just solving, you know, little problems every day for big companies and little companies. Well, I, I mean, I, I, that's what's amazing to me. You got Fortune 500 companies, you got little companies with 10 employees or th- mm-hmm. five employees or less uh, and everything in between. You know, wh- one of the things that I think we also have in common, and we may use different languaging a little bit. But 30 plus years ago, I decided I wanted to be a hero to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinking people. And so I created a company by aligning myself with people that wanted to be a hero to the same group. And we created this entrepreneurial synergy that the customer immediately recognized, and it differentiated us from other people. And I noticed that in much the same way you do that is that you you decided that you wanted to use technology to create operational efficiencies and and abundance and and more productivity for companies. And you've aligned yourself with major companies that wanted to be a hero to the same group. And you've created, uh, you've created basically the same thing. Tell people a little bit about that. So, you know, our, our mission was really to become the, the most complimentary product, right? So if you look at, you know, like a Verizon, right? If, if Verizon came into your business today and said, hey, you should give everybody in your business a tablet, you said, well, what would we do with it? And they said, well, you know, what do you do today? Oh, we write estimates. They would say, okay, you know, give us a copy of that estimate you write. We'll come back to you in a day and we'll show you, you know, how we can make that tablet really work for you. And, you know, we try to make, we, we try to help our partners and, and enable them to sell their products. So like, you don't need a wireless network. You don't need a piece of hardware if you don't have something to do with it. So, you know, our, our biggest niche has been trying to help our partners provide the something to do with it. You know, we have printer partners and hardware partners and networking partners and all these people. But at the end of the day, it still requires a solution in order for somebody to do that. And, you know, I think the biggest differentiator for for DoForms has been we've been able to deliver these solutions very rapidly, which has really changed the model. You know, think about if we were traditional development shop, most development projects are like months long, right? You know how many people you'd have to have working for you if it took a month to do a project and then you have Verizon bringing in dozens and dozens of leads every day? Like you'd have to have thousands of people doing this. Like I'm I'm solving problems for major companies with like a college kid who's actually still in college and works for me while he's away. You know, and we're we're able to do that because the customer is able to tell us their problem and we're able to very quickly take that problem, put it into something physical that they could have in their hands and we give it back to them. And then they go, hey, you got an 80% right, fix this last 20%. You know, and, and that's been the biggest differentiator, really, you know, for what we wanted to do. We wanted to enable, you know, the average person. We call them the business knowledge experts. So we're like, hey, if you have the knowledge of the business, we could automate it for you. 
you know, what we're lacking is the knowledge of your business. So if you're able to come to me, Mark, and say, hey, I need a form to sign up people to sell insurance, right? You know, we can build that. In fact, I guess well, at one point we did all the Guardian forms, but they never used them. So that's, <laughs> I just think it's, I just think it's, uh, it, it's just clear to me that there's not a company in the world that can't use do forms. And that's why you've been so successful. And, you know, John, I just want to, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to spend a little time with us. Uh, this was terrific. You've accomplished a lot. And, uh, you know, I think you're just getting started. So, you know, thank you so much. Well, you know, Mark, obviously you're my hero and, you know, I've, <laughs> I, I've gotten to do a lot of cool things in, in the last 30 years, just knowing you. So, but uh, I appreciate everything. And I, I really am honored being one of your closest friends. We're going to do a lot more cool things together and, and create a lot of, a lot of abundance in the world together. So thank you, John. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Hero of the Hour podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share the podcast episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode and more at www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to check out the other great books and resources on the website while you're there. Once again, it's www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. All links can be found in the description below. We look forward to serving you on the next episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS or Guardian and opinions stated are their own. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ, 200 Broad Hollow Road, Suite 405, Melville, New York, 11747, 631-589-5400. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Northeast Private Client Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0B36048 Arkansas Insurance License Number 741545 Expiration and Submission Numbers Located in the Show Notes